You're listening to Gibraltar Stories, a podcast in which I hope to share some fascinating stories connected to Gibraltar. My name's Lindsay Weston. I've been living here in Gibraltar for almost 10 years, and during that time I've discovered more and more about this tiny and very special place. Its history, its people, famous visitors, and its role in important events on the world stage. For a steep limestone cliff with an area of just 6.8 square kilometres jutting out into the Strait of Gibraltar, it has a lot of stories to tell. This skull, Darwin held it in his hands and he he talked about the, the magnificent Gibraltar skull. And so it was almost complete, so it was almost giving people an idea of what these people were like and the, how different they were from us. The, the strategic position always matters in terms of how um, others view Gibraltar and the interest that can be gained out of control of, of, of the place. I say it's a microclimate within a microclimate. A microclimate is when you get small changes in a short space and you know Gibraltar itself we know is very different from like Spain it never gets quite as hot as nearby Spain or Morocco never gets quite as cold in the winter there's only been one time that there's ever been an air frost that's been recorded I arrived here and I looked at uh, Marina Bay and I went ah now that's where my the, the, the murderer's yacht is moored and that's where that so and so that flat over in Neptune house um that's exactly, and that's the wrong way, and that's where the chase takes place. So it's wonderful. Hello, and welcome to episode three of Gibraltar Stories. After a couple of episodes looking at Gibraltar's past with the Neanderthals and Gibraltar's National Archive, this week we're looking at something completely different the weather. Gibraltar is unique for so many reasons. Its geography, for one, surrounded on three sides by sea, not to mention its height, has a huge impact on the weather here. The curse of summertime, the Levanta cloud is right above me as I speak to you now and seals humidity into the town area. It makes hair frizz and meringues flop. The cloud's been blamed for the condition known as upper town grumpiness and was even thought to cause yellow fever epidemics in years gone by. The Levanta is one of the things which has kept weather forecaster Steph Ball in Gibraltar. Steph's been forecasting the rocks weather for 10 years, firstly with the Met Office and for the last five years with her own company, Meteo Jib. So here we are at Meteo Jib HQ with Steph Ball. Um, so, uh, Steph, what's your background and, and what brought you to Gibraltar in the first place? Yeah, I don't think a lot of people actually realise what a long career I've had. I've actually been in sort of the weather business, say, 30 years or over 30 years now. And most of that was with the UK Met Office. And that's what brought me over in the first place. But before that, uh, I'd started the Met Office in 1986. I mean, that makes me feel really old. And a lot of people won't even remember back then. They, they've been born since then, so that's how far back I go. But then uh, the Met Office, of course, used to be uh, sited in uh, Bracknell in Berkshire. Uh, and I left home. I was from Liverpool, and that was the first job I got. And it's, you know, whereas nowadays you get people go from one job to another. That was actually my job for the whole lot of my time, and I would have stayed there if it hadn't been that I suddenly decided I wanted a new challenge. 
But um, while I was in the UK, I I went through uh, going through lots of different places. There used to be weather centres then. I don't know if you remember, there used to be one in Manchester, there used to be one in Birmingham, one in London. So I spent my first forecasting years working at Birmingham, then at Southampton, where I worked learnt all my marine work uh, and then I ended up in London so I was doing uh, part of the team the forecast from Wimbledon uh, we did things like forecasting for the port also forecasting for the M25 in the winter if it was going to snow you know what chaos it would cause so I've got quite a varied background on uh, weather forecasting anything from you know forecasting for boats, for sailing, to uh, forecasting for planes, you know, in aviation. Uh, And then there was the media side. For 20 years or more, I've been doing, uh, you know, as a broadcaster, uh, weather broadcaster uh, for local radio. But uh, when I left London Weather Centre, I moved on to um, the BBC Weather Centre. And I worked there just before I came out to Gibraltar. I was doing national radio for BBC Radio 5 Live. So that was my career, the start of my career into sort of national broadcasting. And there I got to meet so many interesting people, you know, all the main sort of weather presenters you see now on the BBC. There's, uh, you know, the likes of Carol Kirkwood, uh, the old Rob McKelvey. Um, when there was, oh, who I'm going to say, <laughs> the gas girl, all those sort of people you sort of got to meet at that time. And uh, then the opportunity came up to sort of go to Gibraltar, uh, the first time I'd been abroad with my job. And I thought, well, this is good. You know, I could go over, it opens a whole new world. And it was going to be my first time that I'd do defence forecast. And of course, here, you know, at the airport, we also do the forecast for the MOD. So you were doing it for the Strait of Gibraltar, for, for the Navy, for the inshore waters forecast, um, as well as doing the forecast for the airport and for the RAF when they came out. So it was completely sort of a sidetrack to the work I'd been used to. My word, that's a very varied career you've had to, to date. <laughs> I did say 30 years tonight. <laughs> you've packed an awful lot into that I know, years, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite remarkable. So what is it about Gibraltar that makes... I mean, Gibraltar itself is a very unique place. What is it about the weather here that's uh, so special? Well, at first I'd say I came out primarily because of the job, but once I came out here, you know, you fall in love with the people and you fall in love with the place, the views you get from here. But um, what kept me here was that I fell in love with the weather here. So, you know, I everybody who knows me will know what I geek I am about the Levanta cloud that it's you know a real love just the way because you can see how physics and meteorology work just by watching that cloud how it forms how it changes shape so that was what kept me here normally people used to come out with the MOD and they would do a three-year stint but I loved it so much for the first time ever the Met Office allowed someone to stay longer abroad and I extended it they extended it for five years and I could have stayed here all the time um but I decided I want to get out and you know become more of a, a sort of community weather centre give a little bit more into where I was living and get to meet people more uh so that's how Meteor came about but the weather in Gibraltar I mean it's I say it's a microclimate within a microclimate a microclimate is when you get small changes in a short space 
and you know Gibraltar itself we know is very different from like Spain it never gets quite as hot as nearby Spain or Morocco never gets quite as cold in the winter there's only been one time that there's ever been an air frost that's been recorded so I, I'm always laughing with family back home when they say it's minus 10 it's minus 15 here and I'm freezing and I go we don't do frost in Gibraltar <laughs> but if you walk down Main Street and see people with their hats yes. and coats on <laughs> that's it right. looks like we do <laughs> I remember the first couple of years that we came me and my husband Steve I mean we survived all winter with just a little waterproof we didn't want those big woolly coats and things because we found it quite mild. And then I remember going into work at the Met office and uh, there was Katrina who worked there at the time, who was the admin, and she came in and I think it was 15 degrees. She had about 10 scarves wrapped around her neck, <laughs> big woolly coat, and I thought, this is like Scott of the Antarctic arriving for work and I'm actually just in a jumper uh, and feeling really comfortable. So, I mean, that was my first realisation that, you know, the weather's very different, but you do get acclimatised to it and it's not long before I was feeling chilly yeah, like I'm everyone else. Wearing an extra layer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, as we were saying just before we started chatting, um, it's not just that difference to the neighbours but within the rock that you know it's three square miles or so even in that distance there's such a change that you can have in summer and in winter and one of the the ones that is the main uh, reason for that is the Levanta cloud because how many times do you go from like the sunny south and you get towards town and it's grey and it's gloomy and, and quite it's, gusty and as well. yeah and completely different and then you get to the north and it might be sunny again or as you said if the winds are light you find that it's all fogged out at the airport yes, it's and so quite bizarre. I mean that's one of the things that brings the major changes you know and uh, I remember reading something. Um, you know, because I was doing some research and uh, one of the things I came across in the old history was, you know, somebody saying about how in the upper town they used to they used to suffer from grumpiness because in the summer it was so humid and when the, the air was still, obviously that humidity for days on end would everyone was hot and bothered and you know it's especially that part of town yeah, yeah they wouldn't get any breeze like you would do down in the south district and that so I mean it's quite funny to see those little things you know about how people felt about the weather there's so many quotes when you look back in history saying you know about this and that and you know there was uh, times during um, there was a lot of uh, yellow fever in Gibraltar in the past and people used to think that was because of the Levanta until they found out that it was due to mosquitoes and of course it turned out that you know mosquitoes don't like wind so people would get moved towards the south district to avoid the center of town you know where it would be more you know a chance that you would get it and uh, apparently around the east side was much better as well because you'd get more of the fresher breeze coming in off the sea so I mean it's all very interesting stuff it's fascinating I've not heard that one before (laughs) So you've mentioned the wind, of course. It's it is the it's the wind that's coming from the east that causes the levanta. That's isn't right. It? I mean the levanta. I mean it comes from the Spanish word uh, levantar, and it's because you know the the uh, sun rises in the east. So the easterly wind is given the name of the levanta. So it rises in the east, uh, whereas the poniente, which is the westerly wind, is where the sol or the sun supone 
where it sets. So that's why it's called Poniente. But uh, what we get, I mean, you don't always get the cloud with the with the Levanta, with the easterly wind. It depends on so many different things. It depends on the strength of it. it depends how humid it is. You need to have warm air moving over colder seas. And what it does is it produces it, it condenses, it picks up the moisture, it condenses and, and forms what essentially is cloud for the fog at, at lower at surface space. So that's what produces the fogs. Um, and um, with that, you get, uh, with that easterly wind, as I said, it's not always the same. If you get a little bit more breeze, then it lifts that fog up and you get, you're more likely to get cloud forming. And if you get very strong winds, then you get that sort of levanter cloud where it detaches from the top of the rock and it starts a little way out over the town and goes streaming out over the bay so you get so much differences but the main things which depict what that cloud looks like or how much of it forms is humidity strength of wind uh how cold the seas are all those sort of things so you've got to have all those ingredients together and that's why i love watching it because if by watching it and seeing what it's like you get the feel of what the wind does around the rock and as you said wind is the main thing uh, and it's that rock sitting in the middle of Gibraltar that produces all the differences not just with Levanta but we also see it with Poniente with the westerly wind you know if we get sea breezes it can be blowing a hooli down at a Europa point whereas up at the north you might just be a gentle breeze. Yes it's quite remarkable the difference in 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 the different you know, yeah, weather yeah. conditions as you drive around it's it's really it was some, something that we were amazed when we first moved to Gibraltar in the summer and it, the Levanta would be overhead and then we'd get the bus round to um, Catalan Bay or to Sandy Bay and it was beautiful blue sky yeah. and sunshine just the other side of the rock and, and you're just completely oblivious to it on one side you're looking straight out at the grey cloud whereas round the other yeah, side they're yeah. bathing in sunshine it's one, one that got me when I first started was uh, I remember somebody ringing me up and they were doing one of these beach cleans even then, uh, you know, a few years back and they were doing Catalan Bay and they said, oh, it's going to be Levanta. And I said, oh, not a good day. It's gale force winds, it looks like it's going to be terrible. And the first one I realised, the first time I walked around there, it was, I couldn't walk down Devil's Tower Road. I was doing that, you know, like arms out. <laughs> yeah. Turn the corner, suddenly... Whew, not a breath of wind. And that I, it wasn't until I looked at the physics of it and that and realised that, you know, when you get those stronger winds that hit the rock, some of it gets lifted over the top and the rest goes round the sides. Very much like when you drop a pebble in a stream. You see where it gets calmer around it. There's a little area just in front and that's the effect that you see at Catalan Bay. So you still get those seas rushing in and big waves but there's not a breath of wind on Catalan Bay. Whereas, you know, you just go down to Europa Point or Devil's Tower and you're blown away. And, I mean, that's what makes it so interesting. That's why I love it. And people sort of think, oh, God, you know, <laughs> you're getting excited about a bit of wind. <laughs> but I guess the fact that it's it's different every day, isn't it? You... It is, yeah. I mean, you could say 60% of the year it's quite similar and not much happens. But even now I say that, you know... Um, Things happen with the weather. And I'm coming up, this is my 10th year now that's just ending in Gibraltar and forecasting for the rock. And uh, I learned 
all the local sort of forecasting and that and did some more research. But most of it I learned from the old Gibraltarian forecasters that I first met at the Met Office. They passed on all their experience and uh, it was very, very useful. And uh, even now, though, having still forecast for 10 years, I still find the wind does things that you don't expect. The weather does things that you don't expect. You're sort of thinking, oh, this is my forecast. And then all of a sudden something different happens. And uh, what is great is that you get to see amazing clouds, fantastic clouds. In winter, when we do get a storm, boy, do we get a storm where we get those sheets of rain coming down and, you know, you see those pictures of the stairs in town, there's castle steps of it. You it's know, like a waterfall all... yeah, rushing yeah. down, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're just lucky that a lot of it runs off, that we don't have as bad as, you know, the flooding problems that you get to see over neighbouring Spain, that, you know, being as we are with sea all around most of us, that it, it gets to run off and we don't see serious problems. And I guess the fact that most of us live on a, a great big hill, don't yes. we? Yes, so yeah. <laughs> which is a good job. <laughs> Just don't open your door as it's shooting past. <laughs> but the winds again, you know, the, the, the difference they can make, you know, that you can get a Levanta, the okayed scale force, but on this side of the rock, you know, uh, I remember when there were some ba- very bad winds. I had some people around, um, I can't remember which area, they, they were around sort of central town, but they were saying, oh my God, the shutters are going, I think the windows are going to blow in. And then you had people who were slightly further down, just towards Rosia Bay, and saying, oh, there's nothing down here. What's all this about the wind? Uh, you know, there's the you know that's there's nothing here. What's all the big deal? And uh, all you have to do is is go maybe half a mile, and you can go from nothing to severe gale force gusts. So yes. I guess that the localized wind is is an issue, of course, that we hear about yes. Yes. people coming to and leaving from the airport because yes. it can lead to an occasional bumpy landing or even mm. a redirection to to elsewhere. That must be really hard, presumably, then, because things change so quickly to be able to forecast for, for, for the airport. Well, the, there is a general rule. I mean, it's because of where the rock is that the, the directions that particularly affect it are from the southwest or the southeast. Now, southeasterly winds we don't always tend to have strong enough to cause a problem. We do occasionally, and when they do, they can cause major problems. But most of the time, it's the southwesterly wind, and it doesn't have to be very strong because the problem when you get with a southwesterly wind is that it tends to hit them more as they get closer on the approach. So, you know, it's not a few miles out or like when there's an easter, it can be as they're coming around the bay, uh, it can affect them there. This, it's directly hitting them maybe a couple of miles out approaching. Uh, and the, the worst conditions are really between about two to uh, 40 degrees and 180 degrees. If you get any wind there that becomes more than maybe 10 to 15 knots or more than 10 knots, that's when it starts to get a little bit trickier. Um, but um, with that, um, I mean, it's easier to predict when you've got fronts coming in, it's a strong southwesterly wind. The danger or the, the more difficult is when it's sea breezes in summer. You, you can't always be certain how strong they're going to be. Um, and what effect they'll have you know sometimes they don't um, develop at all and sometimes that can be because there are other things which go to making up the mechanics of a sea breeze and if you don't get a wind the right offshore wind coming off then it just won't develop 
and that's the days where you get those beautifully calm days but when we heat up and we get some of our hottest days where the wind just stays very light around us and it just burns up in the centre of the rock you know but um, those sea breezes yeah they're more difficult and as well as the winds and the flow around the rock the other thing that we've got which uh, is very much a reason why we can get the fogs is that we have a jet or a current of water that comes through uh, as you know through the strait and when you've had a lot of punyinsi, westerly winds, and they're strong, that current gets stronger and it gets colder. And it's then, you know, this year we had some very cold seas. And I said to people, you know, middle of summer, it was still only 13 or 14 degrees at times off uh, Eastern Beach. So anybody going out for a bit of a swim, we're like, oh, my God, it's so cold. It was a bit nippy. I yeah, to yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all down to this current. And it runs, what it does, it runs through the strait. It comes past the east side of the rock and runs up towards Malagran. It's something they never tell you about in the brochures at Malagran, the Costa del Sol, that sometimes when they get, you know, those Tural winds where it gets very hot and you can sometimes see Malaga get up to 40 degrees. Well, where the temperature is 10 degrees higher, the sea is getting maybe up to 10 degrees colder because of those strong winds. So if you try to go and have a swim in the Costa del Sol after, you know, uh, it's been like 40 degrees, 38 degrees for a few days, you'll find that pretty nippy, that sea. <laughs> a bit of a shock to the sea. Yes, <laughs> especially for this part of the world and being middle of summer, you know, people don't expect it. No, absolutely. So uh, what would you say are the biggest challenges to uh, to trying to forecast the weather here? Because, you know, as you've said, things can change quite quickly. Well, I think biggest challenge is really a lack of data. You know, a lot of people say to me they, that one particular thing is they're always like, oh, I've seen on my app it's going to be like there's going to be a frost this week. And of course, it's not, you know, these apps work on, uh, I think, there's still so many people who think there's maybe a forecaster behind it who twiddles things and makes sure they're correct, which is rubbish. They tend to work from just model data. So depending on what model they use and how good it is and how close the point it uses is close to the raw, that's how accurate it will be. Most of the time, you'll find if it's going for very, very cold temperatures, it's because it's using, you know, a site which is maybe just inland. And we never get as cold, really, as it does over, like, San Roque or or Santa Margarita. I've had people saying, look at my, you know, my car thermometer. It's got minus one, and we've still been sitting at, like, five degrees because, of course, we have the warm seas all around us all the time. So, I mean, the challenges are the model. We're three square miles which is tiny in, you know, in the sense of, like, big models that work out. So when you're looking at certain systems and that, then it's if it's a big system that's affected everywhere, it's good. But if it's a little thing like showers, showers is the typical thing where you get them just popping up in places, then it finds it harder to pick those things up. So those days when there's showers, you know, it's like in the UK, you can say, look, there's a risk of showers today, and then everybody says, oh, we didn't have anything. You know, what happened? We were, we were told it was going to rain today. And they don't understand, that. you know, the thing that... We might have had nothing, but La Lina might have had, you know, 50 mils. Mm-hmm. And we've just been lucky that we've missed them. You know, that's how... That's where the challenges come in for a local thing. And, of course, they come in with the wind as well, because depending on what direction it can... and uh, how stable it is and that... Um, it can do all sorts of things, you know, and change things. And uh, 
I think there's only once I've seen a tornado, which was the other side of the bay. Um, but we have seen a lot of funnel clouds. So they're things, you know, we get that, um, one of the, the, the main times that we get interested, really interesting weather is when we've had Levanta, but there are storms coming in from the west because right over like the strait is where you get easterly winds meeting southwesterly winds and you get all sorts of twisting uh, going on in the atmosphere and that's when you can start to see funnel clouds and water spouts and things like that so I'm still hoping I'll see something well maybe not because they can be damaging but as a forecaster you know what I mean you always yeah. want to sort of catch that tornado you want to witness it but yes. not to experience yes. what it'll do yes. to you yes <laughs> <laughs> but um I mean the as well as, uh, you, you know, you say about challenges as well as that, it, it would be nice. And it's something I'm trying to work on is to, to try and get more um, weather information around the rock, more weather centres. You know, we, we just this year we've put our own weather station uh, on top of the World Trade Centre. So um, we're trying to improve some uh, information and get more around the rock because we want to be able to research those differences you get. Um, so far, there's only been the Met Office data, that the, which is at the North Front, of course. But, you know, we need to have... I know the Environment Agency has some little sites around, but um, I'm not sure if anyone's doing any weather research, and I would love to do that um, so that we can pick out particularly what's happening. And also with the way the climate's changing, um, to be able to do some study into the climate change because the last few years we've had lots more Levanta and, you know, everyone said to me, oh, you know, it's been almost Levanta all this year. Last year particularly, um, almost all the summer, ran into autumn as well. We had Levanta, Levanta, long stretches of it. And, of course, when you get that, it also brought in a lot of um, Saharan dust. So we had a lot of those gorgeous skies, but at the same time, Saharan dust can have little damaging effects to people who have allergies, you know, who um, suffer from um, hay fever, things like that, you know, it can aggravate it. So you then start looking at how the weather affects people's health. So there's quite a lot of research areas that, you know, could be looked at. So this is something that you want to focus on? Yeah, something in the future, yeah, certainly um, to see how, you know, although climate's changing everywhere and it's becoming a big thing now about how we need to change things, um, nobody's actually done any research on the rock as to how uh, the weather, how much the weather might be changing. We've seen big storms over the last few years that have brought, you know, torrential rain. This March... We had our wettest March on record where the, the rain was five times the normal rainfall. Um, and all things like that, you know, they need to be processed and looked at and to see was that a pattern, was it something that's only starting to happen or whether it's something that's been going on for a long time. So that's, uh, that's my outlook for the future. <laughs> So you've got some interesting times ahead then to pr process all this data, all this information. Yes, yes, if I could find the time, Lindsay. <laughs> I mean, we've we've been going now, this will be our fifth year, Meteor Jib. And to be honest, when I started out, I thought I'll give it a year 
you know well, I said to my husband you know if, if this doesn't work you might see me washing dishes next year you know I, I had no investment um, all I had was my own um, experience had no business experience no marketing experience nothing but each year we've we've got better and better this the last two years we've been forecasting for Royal Ascot and uh, for some Scottish uh, horse racing we also this year had the chance in October to forecast for the champions this year of the the Royal um, the World Rally Championships in Catalonia, so we did them as well. This year we've taken over from the Met Office as the severe weather consultants to the government of Gibraltar. So there's that. We've got some interesting projects coming online for 2019. So it's all exciting stuff. I do hope you enjoyed listening to that. Steph is a mine of information and has done so much research into the weather here in Gibraltar, even going back to the time of the Battle of Trafalgar. My sincere thanks to her for taking the time out of her incredibly busy forecasting schedule to speak to me. If you'd like to find out more about Gibraltar's weather, I've included a link to the MeteoJib website in the show notes for this episode. Thanks as well go to you for listening. Don't forget to follow Gibraltar Stories on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And tell me what you think of the podcast so far using the hashtag Gibraltar Stories. You can subscribe to Gibraltar Stories on iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify. That way you won't miss out on any new episodes. And if you'd be kind enough to rate and review the podcast, that will hopefully mean that other people should be able to find it more easily in future. I'll be back again next week with another Gibraltar story for you. Until then, bye for now and thanks for listening.